Greetings, this is HG Wells, log set S2, log 18. This morning you join me, this time without the aid of my dime machine, in the Lake District, where I'm visiting the picturesque home of Miss Beatrix Potter. Thank you very much for agreeing to see me at such short notice, Miss Potter. That's quite all right, Mr. Wells. I was honestly delighted to receive your letter. I don't get many visitors this far away from London, and it's delightful to speak to a fellow author. I'm afraid I may need to rush off at some point during the interview to attend to the business of the farm, though. Strawberry, one of my yows. Use, forgive me. That's a local term for them. She's overdue and should have given birth this morning. It's her first, you see, and the first is always somewhat tricky. Yes, of course. I've never seen a lambing before. That sounds terribly interesting. It often can be, the first time, yes. Now, do ask your questions. Well, I'd love to hear about the inspiration for your books. Jane reads them to my boys, and they're positively delightful. You have children, Mr. Wells? Yes, two boys, Jip and Frank. You must bring them for a visit. Your wife as well. Uh, Jane, was it? Jane. Well, that's what I call her. She doesn't much like her first name. I can understand that. My first name is Helen, the same as my mother. So confusing, and I much prefer Beatrix, my middle name. You must bring Jane to visit. I'm afraid she's gone to Bowness on Windermere to fetch some jam this morning. Otherwise, she might have accompanied me. Do bring her in future. And your boys. I adore children. Norman and I were... Norman? Norman Warren. My fiancé. He passed away two years ago. We were to holiday here together. He proposed whilst I was working on Mrs Tiggywinkle. Oh, I am sorry to hear that. About Norman, not Mrs Tiggywinkle. I quite like Mrs Tiggywinkle. I am sorry. I I was telling you about my books. Um, The story that became Peter Rabbit was originally a letter to a little boy, Noel Moore, my old governess Annie's son. I confess I had quite run out of things to write to him about, but I wished to keep writing to him for he was so often ill, poor child. And his mother said my letters cheered him so. So... I sent him a story about four little rabbits, whose names were... Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and... (laughs) And Peter, yes. How many times have your children asked to have it read to them? Many, many times. You are not the first parent or governess or nursemaid who has told me that, I assure you, Mr Wells. I am sorry, but also very much not sorry. Many years later, when Noel was older, too old for little rabbits in blue tailcoats and the like, Annie sent me back the letters. She thought I might like to write them up as a little book, the sort of illustrated book which was quite popular at the time. But nobody would publish it, you see, 
my perennial problem. However, dear Hardy, my old friend, Hardwick Rawnsley, he is the vicar at St Kentigan's and quite the pillar of the community. He went around all the London publishing houses to persuade them. What an absolute blessing that man is. Eventually, he was able to persuade Frederick Warren and Co. to change their minds and accept my bunny book. And that's how I met Norman, of course. He was my editor. I remember it was terribly popular. Yes, yes it was. The publishers were keen for all my picture letters to be turned into books. So I followed it with Squirrel Nutkin and the Tailor of Gloucester and, well, I'm sure you're aware of them. I made a doll and all sorts of things to sell as well and before I knew it, I was really quite wealthy. Enough to buy this lovely farm. With that and a little money from my aunt. It is lovely, isn't it? I used to come here as a child and I always wanted to live here. Such a charming little village. Of course... When I tried to move here, my family were mortified, infuriating that I, a woman of gone 40, am not trusted to live alone on a farm. I had to engage a maid and live in the adjoining building just so they could be assured someone is here to take care of me. It's a dash good thing you are only popping over for the day, Mr Wells, for I will have to be very clear to the village folk that Famous author, Mr. H.G. Wells, came to speak to me about author business, lest mutterings occur. You don't actually live here, then? A good amount of the time now, thankfully. But if my parents are visiting, I'm expected to be with them. And if I marry, of course, I shall have to live with my husband. That will be expected, and this place will become a sort of official residence. The house of Beatrix Potter, author. When I am done with it, many years from now, I shall leave it and the land around preserved carefully for all those who love my books to visit. The countryside is precious, and I intend to care for this little corner of it as best I can. I shall leave this little corner of England, this precious green jewel, preserved just as it is for the future. There are a good many people of that mind across England. Perhaps you may have heard of the National Trust for Places of Historic Interest or Natural Beauty. I believe I've heard mention of this, yes. That sounds wonderful, if a little complicated, I suppose. Leaving your house and farm to the people who enjoy your work. Speaking of the farm, do you just have the sheep? No, there are pigs, chickens, Galloway cattle... John, John Cannon, my tenant, helps me manage it all. Otherwise I should have such difficulty with that and my writing. The Herdwicks are my favourites, but don't tell the chickens, they'll get upset. My lips are sealed. Fascinating breed, Herdwicks. Tough as nails, a thick outer coat that sheds water like a duck's back and keeps them dry and warm up in the windy high fells. It rains a lot here, as I'm sure you know, famous for it. The sheep lamb later as well, as you'd expect, with the growing season being shorter and the grass coming in later. The locals say the Vikings brought them to Cumbria, and they have just the temperament and toughness you'd expect of Viking sheep. Horned helmets and all, I expect? Mm. Only the tups. <laughs> the rams. And they never stray once they've been taught where their home pasture is. 
The farmers call it heafing, or hefting. Once the ewes have learned where their home is, they remain there and pass that knowledge on to their lambs. No need for fences or walls or pens to keep them in. I bought the pasture land next to my property fairly recently to make a little more room for them. They're extremely intelligent. Well, apart from when they're first lambing, it seems. Oh yes, poor Strawberry. How is she doing? She doesn't seem to be in distress as such, just taking her time. It's difficult to tell. I don't want to crowd her. She really should have lambed by now. They usually do so very early in the morning. Not even certain if her waters are broken yet. Older hmm. ewes are sensible. They find a nice sheltered spot under a tree and might already be suckling their lambs by the time you find them. But the young ones try to lamb in silly places. I'm sure I've seen ewes be startled by their own lambs as if they were surprised they'd given birth. Honestly, I think there are some humans who feel the same way. Quite. I think some children would do a lot better if their parents took a greater hand in their rearing and didn't passel it out to other people. Those first few hours are very important to lambs, suckling their mother's milk and staying close to her. Oh, Mr. Wells, there, by your foot. What? The mushroom? Yes. Uh, hold on a moment. Let me get my handkerchief. Phallus... No. Morcella esculenta. The common morel. You don't often see this around. Very short growing season. And they do rot away so easily. Quite often far gone by the time one finds them. I say. Looks rather like a puzzle. Or a brain. Yes, most definitely a puzzle. The false morel, Helvella esculenta, much more strongly resembles a brain and is quite poisonous. This one would be perfectly edible if cooked well, as is the black morel. Those ones tend to be found under trees and in rotted branches and bark. I have tried to get them to germinate from spores before, but the morels are notoriously difficult on that front. Positively unfarmable. Miss Potter, a morning with you is really a fascinating naturalistic experience. I was expecting to be discussing children's picture books, and instead I feel like I've taken a correspondence course in sheep husbandry and mycology. You've tried then to germinate them? Of course. It was the collars that first attracted me to mushrooms and fungi in general. They are most excellent plants for painting. So many purples and reds and yellows and the very interesting patterns upon them and range of locations where one may find them. As my interest in them grew, I was able to correspond with various learned authors on the subject and learn more about their taxonomy and life cycle. I submitted a paper to the Linnaean Society, but of course was not permitted to present it myself on account of the usual issue. Your sex. Precisely. It is what it is. The more I visit female authors, Miss Potter, the more keenly I observe the resentment and distress which many women feel nowadays at their unavoidable practical dependence on some individual man, not of their deliberate choice. Quite. It is my perennial issue. You must return in autumn, Mr. Wells. There will be chanterelles. 
They have a particularly fruity flavour and are very good sautéed in a nice bit of butter. Oh dear, as I expected, she's having difficulties. She? Oh, strawberry! Shall you need to fetch someone to... I, I say, Miss... Miss Potter? No time. Far too long already, poor thing. I shall need your help, Mr Wells. My help? I'm sure a sensible man like you won't get upset over what is, after all, the miracle of life. Of course. Yes. Obviously. Let's have a good look, shall we? Oh, do calm down, Strawberry. I'm only trying to help you. See? Your little one is halfway born already. Just a few more pushes. Ah, yes, I can see how it's caught. If I just ease its passage here... My goodness. Here, grab the little thing, will you? Otherwise it'll be off away on its shaky legs while I tend to its mother and fall in a ditch or something. It's all sticky. And it's black. Oh, yes. Erdwick lambs are black. The coat lightens to grey as they mature. Give me a moment. I need to make sure she's past the... afterbirth. Jolly good. Well done there, Strawberry. You've done excellently, after all. This shirt was... clean this morning. Oh, dear. Jane is going to be terribly unhappy. I'm sure it'll come out with a good scrubbing. It'll probably smell for a while, though. Very distinctive, the smell of lambing, as I'm sure you've noticed. Honestly, you can get anything out with a good scrubbing and washing soda. Lake mud, afterbirth, dissection splatter. Who knew that a rabbit would spray quite so much? Rabbit? Oh yes, I dissected one for my Peter Rabbit research. Well, you're a scientist, aren't you, Mr Wells? I read that book of yours, the... Island of Dr. Moreau. At least my poor little bunny was quite dead by the time I got around to seeing inside. I suspect an entire generation of children is going to be quite upset if they ever find that out. Best not to tell them, then. Now, let's have a look at the little one. Hmm. What is your first name, Mr. Wells? Herbert. Why do you ask? Stop wriggling, you. Herbert. That's a good strong name. It will do nicely. Bring young Herbert over to his mother. I shall have to bring her head round to convince her he's definitely hers. I've never had a sheep named after me before. I shall write to inform you of his progress if you'd like. He seems healthy enough. I don't imagine he'll die in his first year. Oh, I do hope not. That would be very sad. Another unpleasant reality, I'm afraid. Still, fingers crossed. Well... Thank you very much for your help, Mr. Wells. Are there any more questions you'd like to ask? Uh, No. I think I should be heading back now to get cleaned up. You can come into the house and get cleaned up as best you can in the scullery. Thank you. I shall send you off with some homemade cheese and bramble jam by way of apology to Jane. And some dried mushrooms as well, if I have any left. You really don't have to. Not at all, Mr. Wells. And if you have the time, might I prevail upon you to tell me about all the other great authors you've visited? Lord Byron, perhaps? Honestly, Miss Potter, I'd rather not relive that. It was an experience. Shakespeare, then. 
What was it like to be in the presence of the bard himself? I have his complete works in a dozen or so volumes on the bookshelf in the parlour. Very well. I'll end the log here then. My name is H.G. Wells. This has been Miss Beatrix Potter. Goodbye. And Strawberry and Herbert the Lamb, of course. And my only regret today is the face Jane is going to make when she sees the state of my shirt. This podcast was brought to you by Turpentine Productions. You can find us on Tumblr at Turpentine Productions, Twitter at Turpentine Pod, and Facebook at HG Wells Has His Regrets. Or check out our website, www.hgwelleshasisregrets.wordpress.com. This episode of HG Wells Has His Regrets was written by Lou Sutcliffe, with story assistance from Francesca Mylod Ford, and produced by Francesca Mylod Ford. Music by Emily Hancock and Joash Kari, and sound design by Howard White. This show was created and executive produced by Emily Hancock. H.G. Wells was voiced by James Carpenter. Beatrix Potter was voiced by Alexandra Vico. This podcast is fictitious and all characters within are merely fictional interpretations of the people they're based on and are not to be taken as serious or accurate portrayals. We'll end the episode with a quote from Beatrix Potter. There is something delicious about writing the first words of a story. You never quite know where they'll take you. Thanks for listening.